Hello, welcome to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast, where it is all about helping amazing physicians just like you create a wealthy life free from burnout and with the financial security to practice medicine on your own terms. I'm your host, Dr. Elisa Zhang. Hello, and welcome back to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset Podcast. I first read The Millionaire Next Door many years ago when I was in the graduate part of my MD-PhD program, sometime between 2003 and 2006. It's a book I recommend, as there are many guiding principles that I took from that book at that time. I recently decided to listen to the audiobook version of the updated book and thought I'd review parts of the book for today's podcast episode. The Millionaire Next Door was written by Thomas J. Stanley and William D. Danko and was originally published in 1996. In 2000, they wrote a follow-up book, The Millionaire Mind, which went deeper into the psychology and mindset of millionaires, going into more detail on their attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. An updated version of their original book, titled The Millionaire Next Door, The Surprising Secrets of America's Wealthy, was published in 2010. In the book, the authors compare and contrast PAWs and UAWs. PAWs are prodigious accumulators of wealth and encompass individuals that have accumulated significant wealth over time, generally much more than would would be expected for their level of income. On the other side are UAWs, which stands for under-accumulators of wealth. UAWs are those who have not accumulated as much wealth relative to their income. And unfortunately, according to the book, physicians tend to be UAWs. Want to know where you stand? In the book, the authors present a formula to determine how much wealth, which they define as net worth, you have accumulated. The formula is your total income multiplied by your age and divided by 10. For example, let's take an individual who is 40 years of age and has $300,000 a year in income. You would multiply the income of $300,000 times their age of 40, which gives you 12 million. Then divide that by 10 to come up with 1.2 million as their expected net worth at the time. Those in the top quartile of wealth accumulation are labeled as a PAW, and those in the bottom quartile of wealth accumulation are labeled as a UAW. To be well positioned in the PAW category, you can use a formula and instead of dividing by 10, divide by five, or basically have double the wealth of what is the expected average accumulation of wealth. If you're doing this calculation in your head right now, you're probably wondering who could possibly fall in that PAW category. I feel like I personally have done quite well having started my financial education relatively early, and I don't qualify as a PAW. Many PAW millionaires never make high salaries. One example they gave in the book is someone that they refer to as Mr. and Mrs. Rule, who own a small business. Over the last five years, their annual income averaged around $90,000, and yet they had a net worth of over $2 million. They live in a $140,000 house, and Mrs. Rule drives in what they described as a, quote, four-year-old Detroit metal sedan, end quote. This couple has a goal of a net worth of $5 million by the time they retire at age 65. So if a couple making $90,000 a year can retire at age 65 with a net worth of $5 million, that does show that building wealth is achievable for many individuals, regardless of income level. 
And I do believe that is the central message of the book. The book does acknowledge that physicians, as well as other professionals, have the disadvantage of a long education period, which shortens their investment timeline. The authors acknowledge that they, themselves, were not millionaires at the time of writing their first book. Dr. Stanley has a PhD in business administration from the University of Georgia, and Dr. Danko was a professor of marketing at the School of Business at the State University of New York at Albany, also known as SUNY Albany, when he collaborated with Dr. Stanley on the research and writing of The Millionaire Next Door. So if your net worth is currently falling short, how can you improve your financial situation? The authors talk about playing good offense, which is earning a large income, and good defense, which is what you do with that income. Millionaires play quality offense and quality defense, but it's the defense that's the foundation of wealth accumulation. How do you know if you're playing good defense? They presented four questions about planning and budgeting. If you answer yes to all of these four questions, then likely you're playing good defense. So what are those questions? Let's go through them. Question number one, does your household operate on an annual budget? The authors found that the majority of millionaires have a budget. Of those who didn't have a budget, some inherited all or most of their wealth. Another minority, accounting for less than 20% of millionaires, earn such high incomes that to some extent they can, quote, eat their income and still have a seven-figure net worth, end quote. Question number two. Do you know how much your family spends on each year for food, clothing, and shelter? 62.4% of millionaires answered yes to this question, compared to 35% of high-income-producing non-millionaires. Question number three. Do you have a clearly defined set of daily, weekly, monthly, annual, and lifetime goals? For every 100 millionaires that answers no to this question, there are 180 who answer yes. When looking at the people who answered no, this included retired millionaires who had already reached most of their goals. Many of the other no's were high-income individuals with relatively low levels of accumulated wealth and those who inherited their wealth. Question number four. Do you spend a lot of time planning your financial future? For every 100 millionaires that answered no to this question, there were 192 who answered yes. At some point, the book talks about how much time millionaires spend on their finances. The exact amount of time varies from one individual to another, but at least one key study that they detailed was a person who spent less than 10 hours a month. So what are characteristics of PAWs? PAWs tend to be frugal and live well below their means. They prioritize saving and investing over extravagant spending. They don't display their wealth or feel the need to project an image of success. They also have a long-term perspective on wealth building, focusing on steady and consistent saving and investment strategies rather than quick gains. PAWs are knowledgeable investors who make informed decisions about where to put their money. They often invest in assets that appreciate over time. They are cautious about taking on debt and avoid excessive borrowing. When they do use debt, it's usually for something productive, like real estate investments. PAWs understand the difference between income, what you earn, and wealth, what you accumulate. They prioritize building wealth over maximizing income. They aim for financial independence and possibly early retirement. 
contrast this to characteristics of UAWs as described in the book. UAWs tend to engage in high levels of what they call conspicuous consumption. They often spend a significant portion of their income on luxury items, expensive cars, and upscale housing. Their consumption habits can erode their ability to save and invest. They may be prone to impulsive spending. They also place an emphasis on social status and spend to maintain an image of wealth and success. They frequently live close to or beyond their means and may even rely on debt to support their lifestyle. Credit card debt and loans for non-essential purposes are common among UAWs. UAWs often lack a well-defined budget and financial plan. They do not have a clear understanding of where their money is going and may not prioritize savings and investments. UAWs often focus on maximizing their income rather than accumulating wealth. They may prioritize earning a high salary without paying attention to saving and investing. UAWs often have limited knowledge about investing and wealth-building strategies. They may avoid the stock market or other investment opportunities due to a lack of understanding. They may not prioritize retirement planning and may not contribute enough to retirement accounts to secure a comfortable retirement. A lot of the UAWs that they detailed in the book didn't really fit the description of the physicians I know. I will say that physicians, despite having high incomes, can fall into the low quartile of wealth accumulation due to a combination of factors specific to our profession, as well as our personal financial choices. I mentioned one large factor already, the length of our education training. Not only do we typically spend four years in college, four years in medical school, and a minimum of three years in residency training, but many of us also take out loans to pay for all that education. 73% of medical school graduates have educational debt, of which the current average medical school debt is $202,453. And that excludes pre-medical undergraduate debt or any other kind of debt. The average medical school graduate owes $250,995 in total student loan debt. The delay in earning income means that few physicians invest early in life, which prevents us from benefiting from time and compound interest. We also spend so much time delaying gratification that once we do earn a good income, we are susceptible to lifestyle inflation. There's also a society perception of the rich doctor who should drive a nice car and live in a nice house. And of course, many of us would like to drive a nice car and live in a nice house. Due to the demanding nature of our work, we often continue to work long hours, even after completing training. This can leave us with little time or energy for financial planning or learning about different investment strategies. It can also lead to us spending more on getting household help in the form of a cleaner for the house or having a nanny and paying for lawn care and landscaping instead of doing it ourselves. I'm not suggesting that we should be doing all these things ourselves. I do think that we as physicians should be working at our highest capacity and paying to buy back our time. But that paying to buy back our time does potentially lead to more spending for our household. And despite all of our medical education, we never receive a financial education. We don't even really talk about the business of medicine during our medical training. We have to seek out our financial education on our own, so there are many physicians who lack the knowledge necessary to make informed wealth-building decisions. Some physicians end up relying on financial advisors 
to manage their finances, which can sometimes result in investments that really aren't aligned to their best interests, aka universal life insurance, as well as paying fees that overall do impact the return on investment. There's also the more recent change that physicians are more and more often becoming employees of hospitals and healthcare systems instead of owning their own practice or being a partner in their own practice. Employed physicians end up with substantial tax burdens and few ways to decrease tax obligations. When you're a W-2 employee, there's not that much you can do to actually decrease how much taxes you owe. There are many physicians who are at the top tax bracket of 37% for federal taxes. And then you add on state taxes and possibly city taxes. There's also social security tax and Medicare tax. Efficient tax planning is really crucial to wealth accumulation. And there's just a lot less that you can do when all your income is W-2 income. The tax code really favors business owners. And so even if you're a self-employed physician with your own clinic, there are just more ways you can use to decrease your tax burden. That being said, there are many physicians who do successfully accumulate wealth. It all starts with learning about money, which you are doing right now by listening to this podcast. However, learning's not enough. A lot of times we physicians, we spend a lot of time learning, reading, trying to figure things out, but you actually have to take action in order to get new results. So start by taking little steps, baby steps. Start by writing down your financial goals. That is a form of action. Then start working on a plan to achieve those goals. Start tracking your spending. Figure out what you can do on a regular basis in order to save more so that you can invest more. Another finding in The Millionaire Next Door is that, quote, financial independent people are happier than those in the same income slash age cohort who are not financially secure, end quote. So that was directly written in the book. It was with reading The Millionaire Next Door, as well as other books, that encouraged me to make a plan to reach financial freedom within 15 years of completing medical training. That 50-year plan that I put in place was really based solely on investing in index funds and didn't even include investing in real estate. Real estate can really be a powerful investing tool in order to achieve financial goals even faster. I've met multiple physicians who've reached financial independence in less than five years from when they first made the goal of reaching financial independence, and this has generally been through real estate investing. I want to encourage you that no matter your current situation, you can reach financial freedom. My version of financial freedom is having enough passive income to cover my living expenses. Your version may look different. Whatever your version looks like, I'd love to help you get there. I hope by listening to this podcast, I'm contributing to your financial education. If you like even more help, even some hand-holding when it comes to investing, please reach out to me. I offer one-on-one coaching to physicians to provide individualized attention to your specific situation. You can set up a consultation call with me at my website, growyourwealthymindset.com. I'd love to talk with you. And even that consultation call, which is totally free, may give you a lot of insight. Thank you so much for listening to the Grow Your Wealthy Mindset podcast and see you back next week. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. And now for the disclaimer. 
I am not a certified financial planner, accountant, or attorney, and nothing I say should be construed as professional investment, tax, or legal advice. This show is primarily for your education and entertainment. I am a physician, but I'm probably not your physician. So if you need any medical advice, please contact your own physician. Thank you.